you know, it's worth just noting what we're doing when we're doing this, when we open up God's word, is the Lord himself is speaking to us through his word. He's promised to do that. And so this is not just a sort of ritual that we do, but we actually believe that God in his presence, through his Holy Spirit, and from his word is speaking to us. And so he's going to do that now. This is a, this is a important time uh, in our week that God wants to speak to us. And uh, like I said, it's a privilege to get to be your pastor and to do that, to open up his word. So why don't I pray as we do that? And I'll try and explain most of that passage, that long passage. So Father, we, we thank you for your word. We give you praise that you say your presence is with us. And Father, we want to be aware of that today. Father, you've given us your word, your very precious promises, and so would your Holy Spirit apply them to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's a phrase that I think most of us wish described us. Be strong and courageous. Don't you wish that that sort of imbibed who you are? That, you know, they meet you and they're like, hey, you're so strong and courageous, and you know, out on the streets and the highways and byways and in the pubs and the restaurants, they talk of your strength and courage. I wish that was true of you. That you'd be known for your strength and courage. Now, for some of you, maybe courage, maybe that's not even on the radar. Maybe you're just like, I'd just like to have one day that's not filled with anxiety. Just one day where I don't have this anxious feeling in my stomach. And so for some, not being anxious would just be a great first step. Forget the great stories of courage, just, just a day with no anxiety. And I want to suggest, actually, that what we think of as strength and courage isn't, isn't necessarily what the Bible means by strength and courage. And that's what today's passage is all about. In fact, that's what the entire book of Joshua is about. We're going to be going through Joshua all summer long. And this phrase comes up over and over again. Be strong and courageous. And then you see the people acting in strength and courage. And we tend to think of, when we think of strength and courage, we think of the hero type, right? You think of Batman, Captain Marvel. You know, you think of William Wallace or Maximus, right? You think of the hero type. You, you think of Elsa. Is Elsa the hero or is it Anna? I can never tell. I think it's Olaf. I think he's the hero. Or that moose, whatever that, that one's called. Right? We, we think of the strong one, the one who's got it down deep within them and it just comes out. That's what we tend to think of. But when you think of biblical courage, when you think of what the Bible says about who is really strong and courageous, you have to think of someone different than Batman. And when I think of this, uh, I think of my in-laws. And if you met them, they're so humble and unassuming. They're just so humble and unassuming. They... They're so meek and kind and they're small, and I mean that, like they're short. And so in contrast to me, it's like Gandalf with a, with a, with a hobbit. And so if you, you, don't, you wouldn't meet them and think, wow, strong and courageous. But if you knew them, if you knew their story, you'd think these are the strongest, most courageous people I've ever met. Because the two of them are filled with the strength and courage that actually towers above me. It takes tremendous strength and courage to be an immigrant. Tremendous strength and courage to leave the land, the only land, the only culture that you've ever known, and to move to another and to like permanently set up home there, to leave everything behind, your language, your family, your friends, your culture, your food, and to go somewhere where everywhere you go, you stand out. 
That takes tremendous strength and courage. And my in-laws, they've done that not just once, but twice. They've done it two times. They left Albania for Greece, where they settled down. They learned a language and a culture. They made a home for themselves, and they did it again. They moved to America. They left another language they learned, another culture they learned, to, to come into a new one. And to do that takes tremendous strength and courage, but not the stuff not the stuff of the heroes of like Batman and Iron Man. Not that stuff. That's not true biblical strength and courage. Their strength and courage is the strength and courage that we see in the Bible. It's not hero stuff. It's everyday faithfulness stuff. That's what real courage is made of. It's just everyday faithfulness stuff. And so if you feel like strength and courage aren't words that describe you very well, you can be. Those words can describe you. And not only does the Bible think that you can become a person of strength and courage, it actually commands it. Right here in the heart of Joshua chapter 1, it's, well, it doesn't just say, it commands, not one time, but four times, it says, be strong and courageous. Four times. And that's the theme of what we're exploring this summer is, what does it look like to be strong and courageous? What does it really mean? And what we're going to see today is that strength and courage, real strength and courage, comes from three things. It comes from faithfulness to the promise of God. It comes from faithfulness to the presence of God. And it comes from faithfulness to the word of God. And those three things. So let's just walk through those. And uh, first, faithfulness to the promise of God. And there's a couple of different ways that you can think of a promise. Uh, One is like a marriage. You know, you bring two people up here and... They promise love and faithfulness to one another for a lifetime. They, they make vows to each other. And in that instance, both are, both are givers of the promise. Both of them are giving a promise to one another. And both are recipients of the promise. Both are receiving a promise. So that's one way to think of a promise. But there's another way to think of a promise. And that's more like a parent to a child, where one is the giver of the promise, and the other is the, rec- the recipient. They receive the promise. Uh, they're the, the one who's the giver of the promise. They're the one with all the resources. They're the one that got it all. Uh, they're the one who promises to give something, to come through with something, and the other receives those things. Um, I don't know if you had a similar childhood to me, but there was one promise that my parents would make that was unbreakable. You, they were not allowed to break this promise. That was the promise of ice cream. They would, they would promise us ice cream, right? And that was like in our minds, you know, in our like five, six, seven, eight, even 13-year-old minds. That was the, un, like, that was, you couldn't break that. That was the special covenant between the parent and the child. And so you start to dream of it. You start to long for it. Your whole existence is wrapped around the trip to Dairy Queen. And you hold your parents to it, don't you? You're like, hey, remember? Remember? Do you remember? Remember what we said? He said, we're going to get ice cream. Do you remember? And you you hold them to that. And so when we're talking about the promise of God in the Old Testament, please don't think me irreverent, but we're talking about the promise of ice cream, the parent promising ice cream. You know, way back near the beginning of the book of Genesis, God called this man named Abraham, and he promised him three things. He, He promised him, number one, he says, I will be your God. I'll be your God. And then he promised him a second thing. He said, I'm going to make out of you, you who are in your old age and have never born a son, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Promise that. 
And then the third promise was, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a land where all your descendants can live in, a land that's going to be filled with milk and honey. That's the promise. That's the same promise we're talking about when we get to this chapter, Joshua chapter 1. That's the same promise. And God is the giver of that promise. So when we meet Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, we're at the final phase of God's promise of the land coming true. Here we are. Joshua and the nation of Israel, they're standing on the banks of the River Jordan. On the other side is the land that God had promised to Abraham. There it is. The promise then is being retold once more, one more time to Joshua, who's just taken over leadership from Moses. Do you remember this? Verse 1, you might want to look at it. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And again, if you'll excuse my irreverence here, that's the ice cream. That's the promise. God is faithful. God has been faithful to these people, and he will be faithful. And even though if you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, everything up to Joshua chapter 1, you'll see that time and time again, Israel has not been faithful to the promise. Time and time again, they've disobeyed God. Time and time again, they've turned their backs on God. Time and time again, they've been unfaithful to the promise. And yet, God remains faithful to them, to his promise. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's fed them in the desert. He's protected them from snakes. He's protected them from armies. He's given them his word, and he's given them, as we saw last week, he's given them his presence, his actual presence goes with them. And now finally, here we are at the banks of the river, the border of the promised land, but there seems to be, for some reason, a lack of courage. Why? Well, verse 1, Moses is dead. And so Moses, the great leader of the people, the one who stood up to Pharaoh, the one through whom God has performed miracle after miracle, the one who God was pleased to meet with on the top of the mountain, the one who could appeal before the Lord and he would give graciousness to the people, the one who his face shone glorious, so gloriously brilliant after meeting with the Lord, he had to wear a mask. He's dead. And so what does God say? Does God say Moses has died, so, you know, just hang out here. We got as far as we could. Does he say Moses has died, so do you not, let's just pack it up and go back to Egypt. Does he say, hey, Moses has died, so why don't you just sit around and, and cry for a while? Is that what he, no, he says, look at verse two. Moses, my servant, is dead. No pause. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. Moses has died, so go. That's what he says. And so Moses may die, but God's promise lives on. It might be the end of an era, but it's never the end of a promise. Because God is always faithful to his promises. And so in giving this command to Joshua, here's what God is saying. He's saying, my fidelity does not hinge on human achievement 
however gifted the person might be. Nor does my promise evaporate if someone leaves or if someone dies. There's two churches represented in this room right now. And both churches, at almost the exact same time, had almost the exact same thing happen. The leader left. The Moses was gone. And both were pretty unexpected. You know what amazes me about both congregations? Both have such courage. Both have such strength. Both were so weak in that moment that it would have been completely understandable to throw in the towel and to say, do you know what? Moses is gone. But both were faithful to the promise. And both took little faithful step after little faithful step after little faithful step every single week to remain faithful to the promise. We both believe so deeply in their hearts the words that Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 1. He said, now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And here we are. Because of the strength and the courage of the people in this room. That's biblical courage. That's biblical strength. It's that faithfulness to do it every week, to show up. And even now, we're standing on the banks of the river. As we come together, we're standing on, we are standing on the banks of the river. And here's God's word to us today. Remember I said that when we do this, this is God speaking. Here is his word to us. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. That's the promise. And this is what God wants to do in our church. Our two churches coming together because he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so throughout the years to come, there will be many people who are saved in this room. Many people who will be baptized in this room. Many people discipled in our living rooms and in the coffee shops up the street. Families will be established. Children will be raised up. Weddings will happen. Maybe not in that order, but you know what I mean. God will call missionaries and pastors and evangelists from this congregation. He will give us every place where we set our feet just as he promised. That's the promise. Only, it says, be strong and courageous. Little by little, step by step, faithfulness. That's strength and courage. God is faithful to his promises, which means we can be faithful to. So that's point one. Strength and courage come from faithfulness to the promise of God. Secondly, faithfulness to the presence of God. Look at verse five. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then verse nine. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we talked the whole time about the presence of God. That God has given us his personal presence. His presence goes with us everywhere we go. But in that passage last week in in Exodus, I I left out a very important detail. And I sort of did it on purpose because I wanted to talk about it today. Do you remember Moses went up on the mountain to meet with the Lord and to plead with God that his presence would go with him? Do you remember we talked about that? Moses up there and he's like, God, please come with us. I'm not going to go anywhere unless you come with me. And he's up on the mountain, and, and, and do you remember, it takes 40 days for God to explain how amazing his presence is going to be with his people. And he takes 40 days, takes seven chapters to describe how God's presence will be mediated with his people. And, and so we found out how important God's presence is with his people, that his presence would go with them. And, but did you notice? I don't know if you noticed. I don't know if you looked close enough, but there was another person there with Moses the whole time. Moses didn't go by himself up the mountain. There's one more person there. Uh, take a look, Exodus 32. You, you, you know, honestly, you have to see this. So uh, either turn to it or swipe to it. However you need to get there, you've got to see this. Exodus chapter 32. Moses is up on the mountain for 40 days and learning about God's presence, dwelling with his people, seven chapters long to learn about the tabernacle. And while he's up there, the nation, they get impatient and they make the golden calf and they start to worship it and sacrifice it. Okay, if you turn there now, let's pick up the story. Verse 15, Exodus 32. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant, uh, covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Joshua was there. He was on the mountain with Moses. That's the important detail. All that time, those 40 days, those seven chapters where God explains how his presence will go with his people into the promised land. Joshua was there. He understands firsthand what it means to know the presence of God. And so when God says, I will be with you, Joshua knows what that means. Knowledge of the presence of God, that's the antidote, by the way, to fear and anxiety. Or put it the other, put it another way, it's the fuel and strength of courage. Knowledge of the presence of God is the antidote to anxiety and fear, or flip it around, it's the fuel to courage and strength. You know that famous verse in Philippians 4 about anxiety? Do you know that one? Don't be anxious about anything. In prayer and petition, present your request with thanksgiving. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding. You know, did you know that we all quote it wrong? You know that? Most of that. Maybe you don't, but I did for a long time. Uh, the verse divisions there, they really mess us up on this one. So turn to this one too. Philippians chapter 2. Sorry, ch- chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Um, you know, as you're turning, do you know the worst thing to say to an anxious person? Do you know what it is? Don't be anxious. Just calm down. Uh, I know this firsthand as a husband. Uh, that's the worst thing you can say to someone is just don't be anxious when they're anxious. And uh, we do that. And the person either just becomes more anxious or they become angry and anxious both at the same time, which is a really bad concoction. 
And the way that we quote this verse, it actually sounds like that's what God is saying to us too. But it's not. You got in Philippians 4, here's the famous verse. Is verse 6, but look at the sentence immediately before. What does it say? It says, the Lord is near. So the way we should quote it is, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. That's how we should quote it. That's the capital P, presence of God. The face of God. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so what is the grounds for courage, for strength, for not being anxious about anything? It's that the Lord is near us, that his presence is with us. Now back to Joshua chapter 1, because what does God say to Joshua? Verse 5, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, immediately following this, be strong and courageous. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestor to give them. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Look at verse 9. What's the reason God gives Joshua not to be afraid or discouraged? It says, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so there's the principle emerging. Strength and courage come from faithfulness to the presence of God. To be faithful to the presence of God is to live and act as if you actually believed his presence is with you. That's what it looks like for us. He promises it's there, and so faithfulness to it is to actually live and act like you believe it's true. That he will never leave you or forsake you. So you'll make decisions and you'll follow through as if you actually believed it to be true. And eventually, God's going to prove himself over and over again to the point where you really believe it. Because God will prove he is with you over and over and over and over again. And I bet if you just took stock of your life, you would see that he's done it over and over and over and over again. Now, I just want to take a step back for a minute and just a pause, because I think some of you might need to hear this and only this today. Maybe you just forget everything else that's being said. And maybe you only need to hear this one thing from God's word. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you or forsake you. As he was with Moses, he is with you. So wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, God is with you. One more time, just so it sinks in. God is with you. So the first principle is strength and courage come from faithfulness to the promise of God. The second principle is that strength and courage comes 
from the presence of God. But thirdly, strength and courage come from faithfulness to the word of God. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Now the principle in this one emerges right away in verse 7. Strength and courage come from faithfulness to the word of God. Notice that Joshua's success, it actually hangs suspended on this one action. That he would obey the word of God. But he's careful to obey all the law given by Moses, not to turn to the right or to the left. And so there's the principle. Strength and courage come from faithfulness to the word of God. If we're faithful to obey, we will succeed. Now, we need to stop and contemplate a couple of things with that. First is to be clear what God is not saying to Joshua and what he's not saying to us. This is not obey my word and I'll make you rich. This is not prosperity gospel. Uh, And here's how we know this. The two words here for prosper and success, almost never in the Old Testament do either of those words mean anything related to finances. They almost never mean financial success, financial prosperity, but they almost always refer to success in a mission or an endeavor. And so what this is saying is obedience to God's word leads to the completion of the mission. And what's the mission? Well, Deuteronomy 4, in Deuteronomy 4, Moses is retelling the law, the thing they're supposed to obey, right before he dies, so not long before Joshua has this talk with the Lord. And look what he says. Here's the mission, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you're entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear all about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? This is, this is Moses' last words, really. And by the way, everything we're talking about in Joshua chapter 1, it's right here in Deuteronomy 4. Did you notice it? The promise of God to enter the land. The presence of God who is near them when they pray. And the word of God. The word of God that does What? What does obedience to the word of God do for them? Here's the mission from Deuteronomy 4. It makes the other nations take notice. That when they obey the word of God, the other nations take notice of the greatness of the God who taught them to live that way. In other words, the mission of the nation of Israel is to lead others to worship the God who saved them. That's the mission. That is the success. The wisdom that comes from obeying all the word of God leads others, those who don't know God, to want to turn to him. That's a success in the land. And so we do have to ask the question, does my life reflect this faithfulness to the word of God? Do I obey the word of God? Is it central to my life? That's the first thing we need to ponder, but it actually leads to the second thing we need to ponder, which is, if you ask that question, you then have to ask, well, who, uh, who could possibly ever do this? Who can obey perfectly without turning to the right of what? Can you do that? Have you done that? I haven't. Enrique, is, no, never. <laughs> right? Now, this is, 
This is the majesty of the word of God. If you sat down and read it straight through like you would read a novel, you would see this thing come up over and over and over again from chapter 2 of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. And the theme is this. God gives his word, his law to a human to obey. That's all the old, that's, that's pretty much the entire Old Testament. God gives his law and then he asks the people who he's given it to to obey it. And from Adam all through the entire Old Testament, no one can do it. No one can obey. There's potential hero after potential hero. You know, there's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob, there's Moses, there's Joshua, there's the judges, there's Saul, there's David, there's Solomon, there's Elijah, there's all the prophets. All of them receive the word of God and fail. It seems that some get close, but they all fail in one way or another. And when one fails, you're introduced to the next in the hopes that they might do it. They might succeed in obedience, but none of them do. So what happens? Well, you turn the page from Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, over to Matthew. And the opening pages of Matthew, you read the genealogy. It's really boring reading, unless you're following the theme. Because all the greats are mentioned there, aren't they? Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Josiah, all of them are great but not one of them perfectly obedient. And you read right down the list. You just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then you get to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. And then verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. And if you keep reading, if you keep reading, finally you find the one. Finally you find the one who perfectly obeys who never turns from obedience to the word of God, never turns to the right or to the left. Every day he lives in perfect obedience. And that faithfulness to the word of God leads to the completion of the mission. But not how you would think. The obedience of Jesus Christ doesn't lead him to an earthly throne. He is lifted up, but he's lifted up on a Roman cross. And on the surface, it looks like defeat, but in reality, it's the victory of all victories. Because the obedient one was obedient all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it means that his death is in place of our death, that we who are disobedient, we who could never match up. In other words, we who are not faithful to the word of God. Deserve to lose both the promise and the presence of God. But Jesus Christ, who is the only one who deserves the promise, who deserves the presence, who himself is the very word of God, he lost them on the cross. He lost the presence of God. He cried on the cross for the first and only time in all of eternity, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember what the presence said? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus in that moment says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ was forsaken. He lost the presence of God the Father as the rightful punishment for our, for your, for my disobedience. And that was poured out on Jesus Christ. He lost the presence so that the promise of being in God's presence forever could be ours. Did you see that? The promise and the presence can be yours forever by faith in Jesus Christ alone who died to give it to you. Now, like I said, this is, the, this is the majesty of the word of God. If you were to 
tie this all together because as we read through Joshua, you're going to see Joshua as a hero. But he's a flawed hero. And the point of this is for us to keep looking for a better Joshua. And the person of Jesus Christ, in him, we meet the better Joshua. And by the way, maybe you already know this, but if you don't, Jesus and Joshua, they have the same name. Did you know that? Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. They, they share the same. Jesus is the better Yeshua, the better Joshua. Okay, let me try and bring this all back together, and I'm going to very briefly try and apply this. So strength and courage come from these three things, and all of these things are given to us by God himself. You won't find it within you. You won't be able to dig down deep enough and pull it out of you somewhere. It's not in there. It comes from the outside in. Strength and courage come from faithfulness to the promise of God, faithfulness to the presence of God, and faithfulness to the word of God. And I just very briefly want to show you how this gets applied. So um, it, it's applied first in meditation, then in application, then in proclamation. Look at verse 8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. It says to keep it on your lips and to meditate. Now, the word for meditate actually means the same thing as keep it on your lips. It's actually the word for mutter. The idea of meditation is not quiet reflection where you empty your mind. Instead, it's verbal declaration where you fill your mind with the word of God. Why mutter it? Why say it out loud? Well, I think it's because when you're saying something out loud, it becomes more real, doesn't it? You, you think in your mind you're going to do something, but then when you tell them you're going to do it, all of a sudden that becomes something more real, doesn't it? And just try it. Why not try it? I'm sure it'll feel a bit weird at first, but try it. When you read the Bible at home this week, try reading it out loud to you. Mutter it to you. You don't have to shout it. You mutter it to yourself. So it says, mutter it. And just see if that focuses your mind so you can more intentionally meditate. To contemplate, to imbibe what's written on the page. But meditation isn't where we stop. Because notice all of this is put into application and then proclamation. So look at the application of Joshua's meeting with the Lord. Uh, Joshua 1, uh, verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here and go in to take the possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. And the rest of the chapter is Joshua proclaiming this to the entire nation, making sure everyone is on the same page. In other words, get ready, we're going. We have the promise of God, we have the presence of God, we have the word of God, so let's go. God's word, his promises, his presence is not just information. It's application. It's all meant to fill us with strength and courage so that we would act. And it does, because now look how chapter 1 ends. And this is the third application. Remember I said at the very beginning that four times the passage says, be strong and courageous. Well, the first three times is the Lord telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. But the fourth time is different. Look, look how it ends. Verse 18, only be strong and courageous. And this time it's not the Lord saying it, it's the nation saying it back to Joshua. Proclaiming it to one another. This is proclamation. There's not a, there's no time for a fourth point here. But if there were a fourth point on where strength and courage come from, it would be this. 
Strength and courage comes from the people, faithfulness to the people of God. And so really you have the promise of God, the presence of God, the word of God, and the people of God. Here's what it means. It means that we need one another in order to be filled with strength and courage. I actually need you to fill me with strength and courage. We need one another to be filled with strength and courage. That word encourage, by the way, it actually just means to fill someone with courage. So like put courage in them. And so when you encourage, you're filling someone with courage. That's what they're doing when they say at the very end of the chapter, only be strong and courageous. And that's what we do when we come together here on a Sunday morning and sing loudly to encourage the people around us. Is what we do when we meet one another in our homes for a meal throughout the week. We encourage. And so let me wrap this up. God has called us on a mission. The mission is to be a light to the city of Los Angeles. That's the mission we're called on. To our neighbors, to our friends, to our families, to our colleagues, he's called us on this mission. And to accomplish that mission, he's given us his promises. He's given us his presence. He's given us his word. He's given us his people. We have everything we need to be filled with strength and courage. And so we have nothing to fear. Get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here and go in to take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Only be strong and courageous. Let's ask the Lord's help in that. Our Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that when we open it, your presence is here with us teaching us, challenging us, filling us with courage. And Lord, would you do that today? Would you fill us with courage through your promises, through your presence, through your word, and through your people in order that we could go and fulfill the mission that you called us to? In Jesus' name, amen.